Hi, my name is Anne Mogilewski. I have been living with scleroderma for over 20 years, and I will be the host of Mogul's Mobcast. This podcast is designed to be a chat about scleroderma. From stories of people living with scleroderma, lifestyle issues like nutrition, medicines, and vitamins, to exercise and meditation. I will be interviewing doctors, nutritionists, scleroderma patients, and lifestyle experts. Just a reminder, I'm not a licensed medical provider. This podcast is for general information only. Please contact your physician before starting anything new. Now for our episode. Welcome to episode 13 of Mogul's Mobcast. Today's guest is Karen Vasquez. Karen shares her scleroderma journey and how she took her difficult journey, found humor in it, and that led her to become something she's always wanted to be, a comedian. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. It's a beautiful day in Minnesota. The trees are turning red, orange, and yellow. It's spectacular. My favorite time of the year. Although when this airs, it'll be winter and I'll be envious of your California weather. (laughs) Karen is also afflicted with scleroderma and is here to tell her story. Let's begin at the beginning. So what were some of your first signs, ages, or whatever you want to tell of how this all started? When I was around 22, my fingers and toes would get numb anytime there was a temperature change. It would be the slightest thing. And for the first couple of years, it went undiagnosed. And then I was diagnosed at age 23, and I was a nursing student. Oh, okay. The only thing I felt at the time was the numbness and tingling in my fingers. So I thought, oh, this isn't a big deal. And then things started to happen. So that's the onset. Then do you have have any questions about Well, what kind of things started to change besides, you know, your numbness in your hands and your feet? What kind of was that light bulb that, oh, this is not just something that, you know, is normal or, you know. When I, in 96, I had a wound in my thumb that wouldn't heal. It became gangrenous. I, my healthcare is through the VA. So, and I, at the time I was living in La Crosse, Wisconsin, Mm. Uh, I didn't know much about cold and managing (laughs) it, but I did learn. So yeah, I ended up in the hospital with, for that. They did a digital sympathectomy eventually on each hand to prevent uh, future rainouts. But of course, you know, it came back like, like I can, I still get rainouts every now and then. I get it a lot, all all the time. So what did they, what did you call it? A digital? Digital ulcer. Yeah. I mean, uh, what did they do to your hands for that? Oh, a digital sympathectomy. Yeah. What Uh, is that? That's where they go in and there, so there's sympathetic, there's sympathetic muscle tissue around, around each blood vessel. Okay. And so in my hand, what they did was they went through and they removed the sympathetic muscle around uh, the blood vessels in my hands. So okay. then it, it, the rain, cause what happens with the rain now is it triggers those muscles overdo it. And then I completely block blood flow. It just blocks, it, it chokes it. Okay. And, so what they did was they they physically went in there and removed the muscle. Now at the time, because of the way the hospital was, so when I got there, the hospital just saw it as a sore on my thumb. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's just your, it's just your thumb. Why are you so upset? And it took me about, it took, it took a while for me to see the doctor and I was in a great deal of pain because when tissue dies, it hurts. And 
by the time I got to a vascular surgeon who said, okay, we're going to do a block in your, in your, in your, you know, do a sympathetic block. I was already like kind of over the edge mm, and okay. um, I couldn't be talked down from it. I was like, oh yes, I have to have a digital sympathectomy. I think if I could go back, I would get the um, block first because I had one about 10 years later and it worked. <laughs> it worked for a while. It was very effective. So at that point, they still hadn't died you, diagnosed you with um, scleroderma though. Oh yes, I was. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I was. I was diagnosed in uh, 1994. It was October. I was 23, and this is two years into my diagnosis. So 1996. Okay, and so what made them decide that it was scleroderma? And because there, you know, there are people that just have Raynaud's and it doesn't go into scleroderma. So what may? What were all the signs that they said, "Oh, this has to be scleroderma." There was something in my blood work and then the folds of my nails. They did it by like, they had a jeweler's loop. Yep. And there were two rheumatologists and he's like, oh yeah, that's, that's definitely it. And they're like, yeah, okay. Okay. You have scleroderma. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll just go with that. So you had, I don't even know either. I'm hopefully getting that soon, but probably, you know, like an SN, SN70 type antibody test and the, the nail bed test. and then. What are some of the other things that have happened after you were diagnosed? Oh, well, um, mostly it was a battle with Raynaud's. At first it was a battle with Raynaud's. And then I think my biggest problem, problem, but as a result of the changes that were going on in my body and, you know, being so young and, and like learning, there wasn't, we didn't have Google at the time. and. I didn't really have very, like there was, there was the internet, but I wasn't very tech savvy at the time. And so I really just kind of like, I looked, I looked up things in medical books and I saw the pictures and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I was like really in denial. And a few things were surprising. And see, the next thing after that was depression. In 1999, I was down to like 95 pounds. Mm. I had stopped eating. It wasn't the the uh, psychiatrist and I had a, like a team of doctors at the VA, their, their mental health care saved my life. They said it basically like changed my brain. And it was similar to the way I wasn't eating. It was like cutting kind of, because it was the oh. only thing I could control. Oh, yes. I, okay. And so that resulted in, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and major anxiety. So it took about two or three years, maybe longer with lots of therapy to you know, get me so I could cope with things a little easier. I would say that's probably been the thing that's helped the most with everything because with scleroderma, like things always change. There's always, you know, there's always something and you have to kind of, I had to learn to roll with the changes. And a lot of that, they, I got a lot of training in meditation, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, a little bit there. And I had to find things that I like to do. I started doing yoga about four years after that. Okay. And it was Kundalini yoga. And there's like lots of chanting and heavy, weird breathing. It helped a lot. I learned that I was more flexible that way. It, I found it easier to recover from like ulcers and wounds. It just... I just felt better and it helped me keep my lung functionality. I joined a spiritual group 
as mm -hmm. one of my ways of coping with scleroderma. And it was just a wonderful group of people that it was very, very spiritual. So, and yeah, I, I interviewed a woman for that does yoga for scleroderma as mm -hmm. one of my podcasts. So yes, I've done, I love doing yoga. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a very, you know, calming type of effect. So now when you were diagnosed, did they have an idea of which way the disease would go because it you know for some people it's you know can be very dangerous I interviewed somebody that ended up you know with stem cell transplant you know another woman who you know is totally you know can't dress herself so mm -hmm. how was you know what did they say to you when you were diagnosed they didn't know um, okay. they said it was a wait and see thing and this was before they were diagnosing people with mixed connective tissue disease one of the what had happened, so I was diagnosed with scleroderma and then I always had like a little bit of, I had some respiratory issues, but they would come and go. The symptoms, like no one really knew to what to look for. It was kind of like, okay, you have scleroderma, we'll see what else pops up. And then in 2011, I want to say, no, no, it was later than that. It was after I had my son. So, oh wait, that is after I had my son. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I was having trouble breathing and it, it eventually like got worse and worse to where I was having trouble breathing. And so I would go into the ER and they would, they would, um, they would x-ray my lungs and they would, and I'd get a CT scan and they would say, oh, it's just the scleroderma. Well, back then we had fever reports and I started, I, I had been to so many ERs because, you know, they tell you if you have trouble breathing, go to an ER. So I finally started reading these reports. It kept saying lymphoma, lymphoma, possibly lymphoma, please check for lymphoma. And so I took my records to the ER at UCLA. And a week later, I had a PET scan and my the lymph nodes in my chest were, they were huge. They lit up like a Christmas tree. They thought I had, I probably had lymphoma. And they did a biopsy and it was granulomas. It was sarcoidosis. And that was the first time that I learned that well, I knew that people had multiple diagnoses. <clears throat> I never realized how much I had in common with other people with different types of diseases. Like it, it, it opened my eyes to, oh, okay, I have scleroderma. It's very rare. I'm isolated. But you know what? There are lots of people who have similar or who've, who's, or, you know, who've had illnesses that have the same the same symptoms. And we also all go through, you know, grief and acceptance and, you know, bargaining the, the, the stages of grief. And so I started to socialize more with get to know people with different illnesses. And through I did that through social media. And so what was your diagnosis again? Sarcoidosis. Okay, and what so I have scleroderma and sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis is it's it's prevalent in populations who have been around building materials that aren't very good. When I was in the Navy, I worked with fiberglass oh. around hazardous materials, and they didn't have the proper safety equipment to fit me at the time, so I was directly exposed. Oh, very interesting. But, you know, it's it's just like with scleroderma. You're like, well, we we know there's a relationship between environment and toxins. But we don't have enough to show, you know, there's still very little, there's not as much as there needs to be for to tie it directly to environment. I mean, there are, there are studies that are, you know, they're repeating them and they're starting to show that with autoimmune diseases. 
Yeah, uh, one of my interviews podcasts was with Dr. Cohen, who is actually writing a book right now about all of that. She's a rheumatologist and an environmental specialist, and she is trying to put all those causations, you know, it, and how they play with scleroderma. I'm very excited mm-hmm. to see what she comes up with. Mm-hmm. So then, did, when you were diagnosed, were they did they put you on any kind of medication? Did they? Oh, I was put on nifedipine for um, Raynaud's. Okay. And then eventually I was put on methotrexate. And that was it for a long time until the the sarcoidosis diagnosis. And then, so after this, after the, after that diagnosis, my specialist put me on Remicade and it, uh, it reduced the swelling in my, in my, the lymph nodes in my chest. And it also seemed to help with the scleroderma. So my skin got a little bit, I don't know if my skin got a little bit softer, but my skin scores got better over time. But they don't know if that's, you know, again, what did what? Was it the methyltrexate or was it the um, <laughs> was it the Remicade or did she just happen to go into remission? We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you think your diagnosis now would be more of the crest, the, the limited? It was always crest. Okay. You know, they it was just <clears throat> uh, diagnosis systemic sclerosis. And then in 2005, I saw Dr. First and he, that was, that was the first time I think it was labeled limited, although okay. it may have been labeled limited before, because I've had doctors say to me, you know, it's not, you know, they, he would describe the the symptoms of limited. And he's like, we think you might have this, you know, of the crest, what ones, which ones do you have? I had them all. I have them all. Okay. Um, so I have calcinosis. In fact, right now I have a large lump of calcinosis coming out of my leg. It's been doing that since March. And I finally got into the correct wound care <laughs> and it's starting to heal now. So I'm Good. very excited. Yeah. So it's, it's really amazing. I felt like I've had to, so, so each, each, each time I would get a new doctor at the VA or I would get, you know, see a different rheumatologist. I always had to like re-educate them kind of thing because it was, oh, that was something I had medical school, but we didn't really study that. (laughs) And then that's how it got me talking to. So I started talking to more doctors when I went in. I didn't know how to handle everything at first. And I don't know what, what was happening. I think I was getting like a swallow tests, you know, for, yeah. And I'm just thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm being told to lay down, like, pick up, you know, you're like in all these weird positions trying to drink. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, how dumb is that? Am I doing yoga here in the, you know, in right. this room and getting x-rayed? Like, I just started to joke about it. So part of your crest, you have the callinosis. And how about the hands? Your the uh, scleroidactyly. Yeah. Uh, How's that been for you? It's not fun. I hate it, but I, I did not get the surgery because I, I didn't want it and it's, it's fine. I mean, you know, there's things I need help with. There's things I don't need help with. There's things I have to, you know, it, it takes a lot of creativity and for me to figure things out. And sometimes like I'll have to ask for some friend, you know, ask a friend to help me figure things out. Oh, occupational therapy was probably the best thing I ever did. It, that's when I started thinking about, okay, 
It's not that I can't do this. I have to figure out how. And that's something I'd like to tell people that are just beginning with, you know, the diagnosis of scleroderma is that I really didn't seem, I didn't really know a lot. And like you say, I was, you know, diagnosed 20 years ago and, you know, I didn't have the internet. I didn't know that my hands were going to start to curl and I certainly would have done more therapy as you know, if I had known. So, you know, for those that are just diagnosed and are going in the path of crest, you know, I would, you know, yeah, I think occupational therapy for any, anyone with, with any type of scleroderma, because, you know, like it doesn't just affect your, not only do you get the symptoms of scleroderma, but as a result of inactivity, you know, the rest of your health goes as well. You know, if you're not, if you're not moving, you're going to atrophy. And that, that happens even if you don't have scleroderma, not quite to the degree of scleroderma, of course, but it doesn't, it doesn't help. When my two, two weeks after I was married, I suffered a head injury. It resulted in a subdural hematoma. I was in a coma for five, four days. I've had a complete recovery. However, when you have a brain injury, you have to sleep all the time. And so, you know, when that happens and you don't move, your body starts to atrophy. And with scleroderma, it accelerates that. So I lost, like, I couldn't extend my elbows after a while. So, and I went through stages of where I had occupational therapy for the first four years in Wisconsin because the VA covered it near me because it was three hours away to the nearest VA hospital and facility. So I got it like, like I got it, I got private healthcare and it was called fee basis at the time. And then when I moved back to California in 99, the occupational therapist there said, well, I don't think it's worth the expense because we're just prolonging the inevitable. And that was probably my biggest trigger for uh, depression. I think that was more devastating than any. Like that. And then any, than any of the symptoms was that, you know, we're just prolonging the inevitable, Karen, you know, and it took me a while to get, you know, that was part of this, the, my depression was I identified with scleroderma. I didn't think my life was, I couldn't really see a future and I had to start seeing a future. I didn't want to live like I was dying. Like, yeah, people die from scleroderma. And I heard someone once call it, you know, I have a terminal illness. I have scleroderma. And I'm like, well, not necessarily, you know, everything's terminal. We're all going to die of something. Right. And oh, yeah. I mean, because that's a lot of people, even, you know, you look at the internet or whatever and, you know, scleroderma. Oh, I was told, oh, you get seven years. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. You know, and I just don't like that because I'm, you know, I'm at 20. So I'm constantly talking to people on social media. Stop looking at the internet, first of all, because it'll just, you know, it doesn't mean a death sentence. It doesn't. But I think each patient needs to learn to go to accept that themselves because. You know, the reality of it is, is some people do die of scleroderma. And when you're, when, as, as you know, as you were talking about, the symptoms are different with each person. We really don't have a roadmap to what, I mean, we have an idea, but it's not for sure. I just, well, I just transitioned just a little bit because you kind of talked about your humor. And so you do comedy. And how did you get involved in comedy? Is that something that you got into? What part of your life? You said you were in the Navy and you were in nursing school and now you're into comedy. So you want to kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So 
after the sarcoidosis diagnosis, I started finding commonalities in different different illnesses. And so I started I started blogging in 2009. I started blogging. And that's how I got onto social media. And I met other people with scleroderma, other people who had similar symptoms with a different diagnosis. I just thought, wow, we have all these things in common and we can learn from each other. So I just kind of eventually doctors started asking me to do grand rounds because I would come in and talk about like something that happened to my toe or whatever. And I would just try to find humor in it because it it just seems so ridiculous, you know, like, oh, I have this thing in my knuckle and I squeeze it and like this white chalky stuff comes out. And, and it's just, it's ridiculous. I started writing my blog. I started doing grand rounds. I just opened myself up to teaching people in the medical profession because I don't know why, because I just felt like the more that people could use me to learn, uh, the more people would know about scleroderma and the more doctors and nurses will know about scleroderma. So um, whenever there's a medical student, you know, I always think it's great, you know. So I guess my humor and my charm, (laughs) (laughs) I started, I started telling the stories, doing like story. I did one story show and then um, I, I wanted to improve my comedy skills. A friend of mine uh, recommended a stand-up comedy class in LA I started going and I went on stage and I told my story and people laughed throughout and, and I, and I just want to feel that again and again and again. (laughs) Um, I was like, God, I really hate that, but I think I can do that better. (laughs) And it's been, it's, so it takes about like seven, seven to 10 years for a comedian to develop his or her own voice. Like it's never overnight. People hear about them overnight, but it's, you know, years of going out and, you know, trying out material in front of crowds and getting in front of any microphone that you can. I feel like I probably would have been faster at progressing in my comedy had I not had to deal with health issues. But I think that's true for anybody. Right. <laughs> um, and I started, I started stand up at, I was 42 and I started, um, I'm 50 now. And it took a while to get my material from, oh, oh, oh. And, and get people to laugh. I had to kind of invite them in and show them, you know, this is, this is awful. This is terrible, but here's what's funny about it. And here's why you can relate. And it takes, it, it's taken me a while to do that. And, you know, it's, it's always going to be my craft. Um, I know that's not something I'll ever be like satisfied with the way I do it. And I just started making fun of, you know, how, how scary it is, but also, you know, scleroderma kind of sounds like I need to change the kind of shampoo I use, you know, because nobody's heard of it. It's like an attitude of laugh at what scares me. And then I tie it into dating or parenting. I thought I would have a lot of exclusively scleroderma things and I don't. It's just relatable, everyday things, you know, like aging. Like now I'm 50. I'm starting to see wrinkles around my eyes. I know we get a free facelift with scleroderma. <laughs> you know, I've still got wrinkles. I don't look like I'm in my 30s anymore. So, and you know, as you get older, there are things that you can't do anyway, because you're aging. So I can't think of anything that I can't do right now, but that's because it's 8.30 in the morning and I haven't had my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Do you, so you do most of, you don't travel, you just are in California. Um, I'm going to try to travel. I was supposed to travel. I had 
I was starting to plan a tour before COVID, like we all were. Okay. And yes, I, I, right now I'm sticking with California. I'm hoping maybe in 2002, it'll be, you know, a tour would be a great idea. But for now, um, I'm, I, I am going to be visiting my sister in Indiana. So whenever I go out there, I'll try to do something there. But yeah, for now, it's uh, all California. I was just trying to think of how people could find you. And if you wanted to just kind of tell us, you know, Instagram. Oh, yes. Okay. So I've, I've started, I've started a podcast. I have a blog called The Mighty Turtle. And I took it down because I wanted to update a few things. I have a podcast with Rachel Landau. It's called The Mighty Turtle Podcast with the Rachel Mighty. and Karen. I'm sorry? Say that again. Just a little it's called the, the Mighty Turtle Podcast with Rachel okay. and Karen. We're releasing our first episode next week or so. But um, what is a podcast? What are you talking about in the podcast? Is it scleroderma um, or is it just? It's about scleroderma and it's not, I mean, it's a lot of it is about scleroderma because we're just starting. Rachel's a movement teacher and a yoga teacher. We have this philosophy about moving while unwell <laughs> and eventually moving well while unwell. So I'm sorry, you meant to ask me for my social handle. Okay. You can find me at Karen V Comedy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Karen. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please share this podcast with other people living with scleroderma, their family, and friends. Also, if you have feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, visit me at my website, mogulsmobcast.com, or email me at mogulsmobcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram or Facebook at mogulsmob. <laughs>